was a really happy person in a happy family and living in a little sleepy village called Los Feliz. My parents were like the epicenter of a li very liberal hippie, potluck dinners, poetry readings, art shows, political rallies all happened in my house. Were your grades good in school? I've, I've always struggled at school. My, my dad is a psychiatrist and he nominated me for being the first test of Ritalin because I was a hyper kid. And because I come from Israel, I had trouble learning English, but I worked hard. You know, I tried to do the best I could. So you graduate from college and you start working for a bank. Mm -hmm. What were you doing? I was pushing paper. I was, you know, they called me a, like a financial analyst, but there was no analysis happening. Um, there was nothing for me to really do. It was a pretty miserable period of my life. So I was reading Bill Adler's biography of um, Run DMC from 87, mm -hmm. and when he introduces you, he mentions that after working in finance, you had worked as a crab fisherman. Was that, is that true? No, that's not, that's not true. So my roommate in college was the grandson of the president of Ecuador. And the college that I went to had the best marine biology school. They were trying to create um, shrimp farms. And Ecuador was the main experiment. So, you know, one time my uh, roommate went back to college and he says, you know, my uncle loves shrimps so much he dug a hole in his backyard, started growing shrimps. And then a year later, that hole is like four miles by four miles. And it's actually becoming a business. So I went to Ecuador and tried to um, check it out and, and learn about it. So your friends bring you into the music fold. The story starts um, with you throwing a party in LA mm -hmm. with Circle Jerks and Run yeah. MC. Mm -hmm. How is it that you're even figuring out who to book or how to get space or how, to, how any of that stuff works? It's not that heavy lifting. Uh, how, how, how you do it is you do it by trial and error and you just go get it done. I grew up with all the possibilities. There was no barrier of anything. Like, my parents taught me that everything you do matters. That I'm not small. That n none of us are small. We could affect change whether it's political change, cultural change, anything. So to throw a show, um, to um, make that happen, didn't feel like heavy lifting. So you throw that first show, you, you invest $700, turn it into $30,000? Yeah. Your next show though, bombed. Just, just bombs. Like bombed. What, what did you learn about sort of the nuance of hip hop from that? What happens to a dude that um, invested $700, made 36 what do you think happens? Spends that money. And then, bow, you catch a brick, and then, you know, whoa, you're walking around numb. So you went from, you know, high elation and um, thinking that you're on the top of the world to 
really a devastating feeling. In fact, that feeling still lives inside of me that I could feel right now. Like right this second, I could feel that, that, that pain that I went through when I recognized, wow, it's fragile. A lot of people would have walked away at that point, but you sort of doubled down and not only continued in the music industry, but ended up uprooting your entire life and moving to New York. Mm -hmm. How did you sort of rationalize that? Was that in response to the challenge? I did something wrong and I wanted to, you know, reload and get it right. I wanted to understand what was, what happened that I got it so horribly wrong. So you, you get to New York and by virtue of having a passport when no one else in the office does, yeah. you, you end up going on the road with Run DMC. Yes. What were the most crucial things to the success at Rush for you? Um, flexibility. Preparedness, thoughtful execution, calm, under fire. I always talk about the story in London when um, Runny Ray left the records in Ireland. It was a sold-out show. It was a matinee because the British people were scared of rappers. Um, <laughs> it was a hot day. The promoter over-promoted. You couldn't stick an ace of spades in the audience, and we didn't have the records. So I thought that this was the quickest way that I was going to lose my job and people were going to get hurt. And then I realized, you know, British people are record collectors. So there had to have been a bunch of people in the audience that had records. So I said, you know, the reason why we're late performing is because we're signing a lot of autographs. And we realized that it's probably unfair and we should prioritize those that brought the record. And <laughs> a bunch of people raised their hand and, and, and I gathered up the records and that's what we, I said, let's go and, and we performed. Have we started on the management side? And then eventually working to really become a you know a record manager. I was a road manager. manager. A road manager. It's different from a manager. I was on the road for three and a half years. It's the primary everyday resource that I utilize to win. Being on the road with an artist, going through three and a half years of touching in a tactile way fans, radio, media, just creation of, of music during that period, the stress of success, and be present. You know, one of, you want to know what's key to success is to also be present, to be actually there. Not thinking about the future or the past, I was actually present. And then from there I became a manager and I was a better manager for having been a road manager. In that period in the late 80s, you, you amass, you know, clientele, basically everyone that matters in hip hop. They also hold public enemy. How did you transition from being, from this, you know, putting together this, this management consortium mm -hmm. to then working on the label side at Def Jam? Rick left really early on. So Rush Management was doing great, but Rick left, so 
you know, we had to continue going forward. So, you know, necessity is a motherfucker. That's a fact. So it wasn't, if it wasn't something that I chose, it was something that happened. And that's part of being flexible and going with the flow. We recognized at that time what an opportunity Def Jam was. What Def Jam was, was our ability to utilize our influence in the management community. So we had an outlet that we didn't have to go to someone else to ask them to listen to our demo. Were you aware that your skill set was kind of shifting from being the guy that can be on the ground advancing a show, doing those kinds of things, to all of a sudden, you know, now you're sort of curating a brand and a, and, and a brand identity? I didn't want to be the person who fucked up Def Jam. You know, it was a very scary period. And by the way, I had a very, I also had a very cold period. I couldn't sign a good artist and I acted desperately. And it was, uh, um, there was a period that I was in deep question about my abilities. I was very uh, um, um, confused and, and didn't have the confidence that I needed to be successful at that point. I remember one day I just got quiet and closed the door and I tried to understand what is it about me that is losing personal confidence that is making desperate moves and where is the light going to come from that is going to help guide me and then I realized it was the Def Jam logo and I brought everybody together and I said our light will be the logo. It will shine the light on exactly who we sign, how we market and promote that artist. And uh, that's when Redman appeared. And that was a very powerful moment for us because Redman is Def Jam. And that was the, the moment that things started changing for us. After finding his sea legs as an executive, Lior began to lead Def Jam and the music industry into an entirely new era. I remember Russell came to me and complained and said, Vibe doesn't want to put me on the cover. You know, Death Row and 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 Bad Boy, Puffy and and, and Shug, they get covers left and right and center. Why don't they want to put a, me on the cover? And I said to Russell, that we've just decided to take a different road than them. We're the AMCO of this. We get into our blue overalls and we drop transmissions. We help artists come in and help them and have them go out. We're going to represent the highest service work that an artist or an entrepreneur could tap into. It was that decision that allowed Rockefeller to feel comfortable 
working with Def Jam or Murder Inc. or any of the other companies 